10 years, three boys, one question, are we friends? Long ago, three boys in Northern Virginia lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when puberty and their separate lives attacked. Only this podcast, master of all the hours of their lives, could save them. And when the world needed it most, it happened. A hundred episodes passed, and my boys and I discovered a new pastime, Twitch streaming. And although our audio skills are great, we have a lot to learn before we're ready to stream to anyone. But I believe this podcast, and all of related content, can save the world. Welcome to Are We Friends? I am your co-host, Taylor. I am your co-co-host, Brian. And I'm Jorge. And this is the show where three boys go through their interests one at a time to see if they are actually still friends, or if it's just inertia. Before we get started, we want to talk about a few things. Jorge? And it's not just wishing that podcast had a skip intro button. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're going to continue talking about what's going on in the world like a little bit, just giving you some, some facts that we can bring you that you might not be finding out on your own, or like bringing some things to your attention. I'm going to... Uh, so start off there was a protest in front of a city councilor woman's house here in richmond her mm-hmm. name is kim gray there is a group of i, I one to 200 protesters they were At there the for max. about yeah about 15 to 20 minutes they were on the street not touching her proper like not i mean they they put flyers on her gate they did not actually come onto the property cross over to the pride yeah. yes they were making a lot of noise i imagine it would have been scary from the inside uh, there were people who were armed, not very many, but there were some. Uh, everything I've seen from the people who normally go to these types of marches is they are very kind, good people. When somebody brings weapons, it's just to try to deter mostly, I think, white nationalists from coming in and doing any sort of attack mm-hmm. on them. Yep. I won't comment too much on that, though. Um, the councilwoman uh, called them terrorists and likened them to the KKK. And said that they were mostly white people coming in from out of town, oh. which we know completely to be not true. Um, I won't say which one of us were there, but there were some of us there, one or some of us there. <laughs> we were represented. <laughs> well, we were represented. Yes. yes, and we can say that with our own eyes, we saw that these these facts are not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was a good, peaceful protest. Not that it should matter whether it's peaceful or not necessarily, but uh, it's definitely not the way that Kim Gray has been representing it, and it's particularly dangerous when she refers to a group of protesters as terrorists because yeah. what the government can do to people they consider yeah. terrorists. It is dis- dangerous it, to yeah. the, the organizers mm-hmm. who have their names attached to it, right? Um, and even if you are not black and you don't care a ton about this movement, I would say like that is something that should concern you because they can just start labeling people terrorists and then moving forward yeah. with other plans like that things start to fall apart. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the things I want to bring bring to light. Taylor, but, I think you had some effects on another one. Absolutely. Um, on that same thread of it being disingenuous and dare, uh, dangerous to call mm-hmm. uh, people who are protesting police brutality, uh, as well as anything in support of Black Lives Matter. Well, let's take it over to Portland, um, where unmarked uh, and unnamed interagency people uh, have been launched by the federal government to literally black bag people in the city of Portland. Um, The president said he was going to do this and then he did it. Uh, And we'll post some resources uh, in the description of this episode. If you want to find out more information about that 
it is alarming. To say the least. Yeah. Like Yeah. And uh black by blackbagging we mean they were grabbing people off the street and throwing them into vehicles without them, saying yeah. what agency they were with or like what they were being held for. Or vehicles like which are non governmental, unregistered, uh, and just like rental cars. Yeah. And just, from, yeah. from any of the reports I've read from people who actually went through it, they were mostly like blinded somehow with their own clothing usually and mm-hmm. then just kept overnight and released in the morning without being told anything else. The the other thing was this was under the guise um, or the the federal mandate or executive order being used is the one discussing protecting monuments and statues. However, um, from uh, I at least from I believe it was Oregon Public Broadcasting. Um, but don't quote me. There will be the links in the description. Um, people who were wearing black clothes were being detained. Like this was moved right. off of federal property on like actively out in the streets. This wasn't just we're defending in quotes, this statue and taking people away, which would be bad enough, but they were actively walking out into the streets and grabbing people nearby who looked suspicious. So a, um, a very powerful moment in the last week is if you see the two la- the last two nights of protests where mothers have uh, linked arms and there's a powerful one where it's a mm-hmm. bunch of people identifying themselves as uh, predominantly white mothers and they're in the midst of tear gas uh, and yep. we'll we'll send a link to that image as well. Yeah, and going back to the to the first one, by the way, if we don't say <coughs> what city it is, it usually means we're talking about Richmond, Virginia, because that's where we're mm. located. Yeah, yeah, that's sort Same. of an assumed. We we're, we're we're assuming it at this point, sort of thing. Yeah. All right. On to fun. <laughs> on to the giggles. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up really quick uh, on the topic of our uh, Avatar The Last Airbender <laughs> is I made a pie show board. Oh, you did? Yeah, I finished it. It is uh, playable, and I cannot wait to play it, and I'm very, very fucking oh, excited about very it. Very good. Where did you – Is so this is the thing. Pie show gets mentioned a couple of times. Uh, it's a little bit more – prevalent or shows up in the second book as well uh were there rules like official rules or something or no there was briefly on nickelodeon.com a playable version of a game that looked like pie show but i remember (laughs) even as a child thinking well this is complete and utter bullshit uh and it was so there are a couple of community driven games um i think the best one is called scud pie show s-k-u-d and he's got a really nice website for it or she i don't actually know um, they have a nice. Website. They have a nice website for it, but they also have like pieces available to buy and plans and like print and play, uh, as well as brief and comprehensive rules and a couple of different variations on it. So I'm uh, I built a Scud Pie Show board, so the board looks just like it does, and the pieces look like they're inspired by what you see in the mm-hmm. show because there's only like four pieces that you actually see over the course of the show they're called canon tiles like the White Lotus and a couple of other things that are not named. Mm-hmm. So like the game has been developed. Uh, heavily inspired by what's seen in the show. And it's fun. I played myself, and I surprised myself that I beat myself. Like, it was like, oh, shit, I won! <laughs> like, it was it was a lot of fun, even to play with myself, that, as that it always is. with two other people. Yeah, they don't want to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, yeah, that sounds great. I can't wait to flip that board over in anger. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's let's get into into yes. book two then. Bring Starting it on. Chapter one, the Avatar State. I don't remember. Oh, uh, I so feel like this I'm is um, much less of this season. Going into 
the the Earth Kingdom after the siege at the North Pole. They need to deliver some information to the Earth King, uh, and they find an Earth. Uh, an Earth Army general there, and his inspired militaristic idea is to weaponize the Avatar state and to use it to quickly defeat the Fire Nation. And he makes the usual points like, how many more people are you going to let to die if we can do it this way? And Aang is like, well, you know what? Shit, that I'm 12 years old, and that's a pretty convincing argument from a military general. So he tries to weaponize the Avatar state, and of course it goes wrong, because when you play with fire, you get burned. And we learn a little bit more about like what the Avatar state is, uh, its its advantages and its weaknesses. Yeah, the, the benefit of this, and it's something I enjoy in this show, is uh, at the end of season one, we're shown this, like, the utter might of the Avatar, the reason that the Avatar is as celebrated and revered as they are is because of this awesome power they have, uh, like what Aang does at the end of season one. By the way, blanket spoiler alert for book two. If for some reason you haven't, if you're listening to this and watch it, let this run on mute so we get two views out of it um, and then come back and listen to it for real. But um, the the thing we learn here is that, uh, I believe it's Avatar, Avatar Roku shows up again in the spirit realm and is like, hey, Aang, it's super cool that this whole Avatar, Avatar State thing is happening, but you might want to be careful. It's more of an emergency break than anything. Like, it's an emergency switch that comes on when you're in danger, because then you can just do everything and get out of this. But if you die in the Avatar State, if you're killed in the Avatar State, it's over. Like, there's no more Avatars. The line of succession goes, everything is gone. And Aang is like, oh my god, this is very serious. So, it's a nice dip down. Like, there's still stakes and everything in this episode, but it's a nice kind of, like, come down from that ending of the first season into, like, normal, quote-unquote, like, TV sort of thing. There's a, lot, right. there's a good little episode. That's a yeah, good I, I like when they give integral information like that, right, that... You can't just say, like, oh, well, if it gets in too much trouble, we can Avatar out of there, no problem. Exactly, yeah. It, it, it makes you – it shows you that this is still an advantage, but that you can't just be like, cool, why wouldn't this end in five seconds? Yeah, it's right. an emergency failsafe. It's not meant to be the line of defense. Okay, so the Cave of Two Lovers, oh, Chapter 2. Secret Whoa. tunnel, <laughs> secret tunnel, secret, 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 motherfucking secret tunnel. <laughs> So, yeah, this book, this season, has two of the best songs, I would say, in animation, you know, <laughs> or in animation TV history. Um, but And this is the first one with, um, by the way, the guy who plays, I think it's Chong or Chung, who is the singer of this um, traveling, traveling minstrel band group. of nomads that um, Team Avatar runs into because they are on their way to Omashu. They're going... Hey, Aang's got to learn earthbending. Dude, King Boomy's there. Let's go learn from King Boomy. This is awesome. Like, you know, mm. everyone's very excited. I was very excited. I was like, yes, more King Boomy. It's going to yeah. be so silly, and I'm going to love it. And they're trying to get through over to Omashu. And there, Sokka's like, please, we'll just fly over and surrounded and demolished by fire nation firebenders just throwing meteors and fireballs at them and they're like oh my god fine and these these nomads are like well there's this 
secret tunnel through the mountain that these two lovers use to get across. Um, the, the thing I liked about this episode the most was developing or sort of uh, setting in stone how Aang feels about Katara. Because we got teases of that. We got sort of mm-hmm. um, a little moments, mostly comedic moments of things in the first book with Aang like basically gushing over or like idolizing Katara because he's 12 and she's like 14 or 15. So there's still that like, I'm a child and like, ooh, I like you sort of mm-hmm. a mentality from Aang. Whereas Katara is, uh, you know, more mature than him. And this is where he's kind of like, that affection turns into more of a love or like something that's more, not necessarily adult, but more teenagery than childish, if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the beginning of the legitimate romance. Mm-hmm. I like that they talk more about where people originally learned bending from. Yeah. Yes. In that the... that. Earthbender, the original Earthbenders learned from the blind badger moles, and uh, <laughs> we'll see That's somebody right. else soon who also learned from the badger moles. Yeah, like we we get that, and the implication is at least at this point that like uh, the air nomads watched the sky bison. Like, oh, yeah, I want to do that. That's that's pretty <laughs> rad. Yeah, that thing, I want I want to do that. Yeah, it's that, and the 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 Fire Nation, the the Firebenders watched the dragons. And that makes the, the most I don't know, sense. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that yet, Brian. Uh, and the but what gets me is that the water benders watched the the pull and push of the water from the moon. Yeah, <laughs> they just watched like, the tide okay, go guys. in and out. That's fucking yeah. amazing. <laughs> just, you couldn't come up with one more. Sure. Yeah, there, there's not any one more cool water animals that you could make up or just use in real life. And yeah. they're like, no. The turtle whale wasn't going to yeah, be available like, or something. <laughs> no, they've got their two just koi fish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after the but secret tunnel good, yes. is chapter three, the return to Omashu. Ooh. Um, before we get into the return of Omashu, because uh, that the end of this episode really mm-hmm. sets up that one. Um I, I love this moment for Sokka because uh, it's another one where Sokka has to deal with people who are not like on target, mission oriented. Uh, they get split up and Aang and Kantara go in one place and they learn that the origin of the name of the city of Omashu comes from Oma and Shu, the, the, the lovers who use this cave and who are the first human earthbenders. But Sokka is stuck with the wandering minstrel <laughs> and they're just like singing songs, having a great time. He's like, we have to come out of this cave. And they're like, don't worry about it, man. It's all going to work out. It's going to be it's going to be fine. Let me sing you a song about it. Like, no, no, no songs. No songs. And then they find the badger moles and the only thing that the badger moles respond to is music and yeah. songs. So they have to. It's just another like Sokka, despite his best intentions of being the only sober-minded person in this world of magic and chimeras, like has to Still submit has to, to yeah, like, you know, like the, the goofiness of going with the flow. Sorry, just a moment that I love. But at the end of the episode of the Cave of Two Lovers, they see that Omashu has been taken by the Fire Nation. And that's where we get to the return of Omashu. Exactly. Um, I will also say, as one quick fun fact, IMDb fact that I looked up, um, uh, Chung, who is the singer of this group, is played by, is voiced by D. Bradley Baker, who is in the show the voice of, who does the noises for Appa and Momo and That's various really other things, but is also all of the clones in the Clone Wars TV series. So, oh, shit. like, D. Bradley Baker is one of those names you're probably going to see if you watch anything of animation. 
Uh, just a very prolific voice actor who who gets to do a very great stoner hippie voice in this, and it's absolutely just mm, chef's kiss. Like it's wonderful. Oh my god! It's what? there's one song when they're in there like, "Don't let the tunnels get you down." Yeah. <laughs> Don't let the scary monsters turn your smile into a frown. <laughs> it's just like very. It's it's it's, it's, it's no, a it's, chef's it's, kiss musical episode. It, it's actually good to talk about those because. Cave of Two Lovers is a very lighthearted episode. It's very funny. It's very it's either romantic or funny. Like there there's kind of the scariness of the cave, but like most people are either finding out their affections for each other or they're being goofy and silly. And then there's this great the great turn that goes into Return to Omashu is the horror of occupation. And yeah, that's right. it, Return to Omashu is where we get like Team Avatar is in there, is in the city looking for King Boomy. Because clear, like, what the fuck happened sort of thing. And they run into this resistance effort of earthbenders who are, where we find them, perfectly willing to murder an entire family because <laughs> they're firebenders. Like, because they're Fire Nation. And it, it get, the thing I liked about this episode is it really colors how war is. Like, it's it's this first, it's this opening foray that the the whole season is going to do about the cost of war and what it does to people's morals. Like, we, we get a tease of it with the whole Avatar State episode, but, like, this is really the example where you go, oh, like, what are people willing to do when lives are on the line? Um, which I think is fascinating because Aang and them get caught by saving this, the governor, he's the governor from the Fire Nation. He's the governor of Omashu now. Um, they're walking down, and these Earthbender resistance people are pushing these rocks to basically just avalanche this family. There's a small child, there's a teenage girl, and there's the wife and the the governor, and they're literally in the crosshairs of death. Like they're gonna get hit by this, and Ang airbends that shit away, and then they get in trouble because they're the ones seen for it. Um, it's a very interesting episode. There's a couple introductions here that uh, pay off later in the in the season for this i barely remember this one <laughs> the daughter is um may I, it's my may yeah uh, oh so we get um we get the at the very end of season one we introduce the voice of the fire lord about, yeah. uh which is mark hamill and that will only mm. get cooler and he, he has the line like your uh iroh is a failure and your brother zuko is a traitor or vice versa one's a traitor one's a failure and that's when we're introduced to azula who is the prodigy firebending sister of yes. Zuko, um, the second in line for the throne. And she creates this little dream team um, of herself, a woman named Tai Lee, who is an acrobat and martial artist who is not a bender, but can take bending away by hitting certain pressure, pressure points, points yeah. chi points on people's <laughs> bodies. And May, who is also not a bender, but like throws knives and has arrows and Deadly crossbows accurate, in her sleeves yeah, and like, shit. Um, so we get like the Hawkeye, first... Yeah. yeah, she's like the Hawkeye. And we get the first... Um, view of what they're capable of here yeah i was gonna say interesting that azula surrounds herself with non-benders it is as friends who she she clearly is terrorizing into continuing to be their friend her friends it, it, they're not like open about it like they don't they're not constantly afraid or, or anything they act like they actually are her friends but there are indicators already that she's forcing them into it's it. it's a weird kind of toxic relationship sort of thing where um ty lee is the most obvious example of it because 
May during this episode is when she's recruited and she's like, oh, fucking get me the fuck out of here. I'm so down. Because she's just like a depressed teenager. Like, she's like, Ugh, yeah. whatever. Um, but Ty Lee is interesting because she's in the circus when we first meet her. And Azula comes to the circus and is like, hey, Ty Lee, want to join my team? And she's like, nah, I'm good. I've literally found my calling in life. And Azula's like, hey, that's not going to work for me. So real quick, let's get this over with. And she basically terrorizes the circus while Ty Lee is performing. And Ty Lee is like very bubbly and upbeat. Like that's how she always is throughout the show. And there's this moment afterwards where she's like, you know what? I've decided I'm going to come with you. And Azula just has this knowing like Good. smirk of just like. <laughs> that was the right answer. Exactly. Like he's like, you've got it right. Good. I'm glad. Um, yeah. So on the way out of Omashu, they fly into Chapter Four, of the Swamp. So we, the Swamp is interesting because um, there's clearly something magical. It's a huge swamp. It's called the Foggy Bottom Swamp, and we meet a nice. a tribe. Is it of Foggy Bottom? That just sounds like Foggy the, Swamp. The, foggy Swamp. I was like, style. Foggy it's Bottom fog- is is a metro a stop. Right? It's metro stop in no, that's uh, Northern Virginia. See. It's an area in Northern Virginia. Oh, that's what it it's is. I really it was. I was I, thinking about the place in SpongeBob where it's like down from the cliff and it's like there's weird weird fish there and well, let's see there's there's swamp bottom from Spirited Away there's foggy bottom which is on the metro line in, in DC real life, yeah like there's live there. also oh god there's bubble goop swamp which is what I was thinking of from Banjo Kazooie and then <laughs> like, and the normal these... the normal place bubble they live swamp? in SpongeBob is Bikini Bottom. Yeah, no, but there's a different there's town exactly, yeah. near Bikini Bottom. Correct. But also, I don't think it's Bubble Goop Swamp in Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> I don't I don't. That, think that. that we'll name never isn't know. familiar at all. No one will look it know. up. <laughs> Regardless, we, uh, we in this episode, swamp. we realize that there is a third style of waterbending. The two poles, the north and south pole, uh, and then there, there are the hillbillies <laughs> who live in the swamp and have the, like a wild and chaotic, like you see them... Yeah, so the, we meet them, and we yep. realize that the swamp is kind of a spiritual place that is outside of time. Uh, so Aang is shown yeah. someone he's going to meet in his future while everyone else is receiving visions of their own past. Yeah, as, it's... Yeah, Yeah, as well as being outside of time, it, they, they indicate that the... That the the foliage, like the plants from the swamp, actually go underneath the whole world. So by being there with that special tree they got, you can actually start to sense like what is way out. Yes, because Ang starts. He does that in a smaller scale, but he does that um, when he's at the tree itself. There's, I like this yeah. episode because Sokka is very skeptical hippo of this like he's very like oh yes the magic tree the magic tree will tell us and then ang like avatar powers instantly like oh yeah no i know exactly where they are thank you magical tree this is avatar the blue people now (laughs) but no but even that i love that Sokka. uh, there's a point where he is just like well yeah ang's the avatar that's different like this the swamp guardian was just a guy waterbending and all this stuff was just other things to be explained and he was like, because they all get visions. He gets a vision of Princess Yue, and um, Katara gets... Vision of her mother. Her mother, thank you. That's what it was. Um, 
And she's like, I saw my vision and I know what I saw. And he's like, we were just, like, starving and hungry, so, like, don't worry about it. It's any, fine. Any limb he can and cling yeah, to. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's it's fascinating to see that, like, that weird skepticism from Sokka who has been with the Avatar. And who has been like, in and, the spirit world. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, he know the point being is that he knows that certain things exist, and he's like, I'm only... It's funny how rigid he is with like if i see this and i know where it's coming from i'll believe it but other than that no everything's normal like yeah that's what i i, I kind of like that about Sokka, even though it will make me mad in other situations but like it's an interesting character trait to have of like i will believe anything if there's a level of verification if it's just woo woo nothing I'm not going to start supposing what it is. I'm going to say there's an explanation for it. It's very clear that Sokka is ready for the Industrial Revolution. Like he is, <laughs> oh, he's, yeah. he's so ready for the world to leave he the spirit shit behind. Like, yeah. yeah. So let's, let's uh, pick up the pace a little bit yeah, here because we've done four episodes out of 20 so Sounds far. Sounds good. Uh, chapter 5, Avatar Day. Okay. Which they go back to Kyoshi oh, Island, right? They go near no, Kyoshi No, they Island. go to – sorry, that the episode – Heavily features Correct. Avatar Kyoshi, but it is not Kyoshi Island. The, it is. My only highlights are, I agree with Sokka when he says this is the worst place we've ever visited. It's, it's and, a bummer of an episode. It's it's kind of a stinker. Avatar Kyoshi is so awesome. Because yeah, she just, dude. she shows up in this episode as like, she like comes through Aang to talk to these people. And she's like, yeah, I did what I did. I don't give a fuck. I was right to do it. <laughs> Y'all are fucking assholes. And then she leaves. And Aang Which is, is mur- murdering their leader. She definitely way, killed she their did. leader, and it's great. Um, yeah, Chin the Great. Well, it's, oh, go ahead, Jorge. Yeah, yeah. He, she like breaks off a piece of cliff because he's being a, a huge imperialistic asshole. Well, yeah, she and, separates the island of Kyoshi. That's how she makes yeah. the island by doing this, and then he just falls because he's at the cliff edge. <laughs> like, yeah, he. The, it's an accident, and he falls on his own. But still, <laughs> she refuses to even try to say that she was an accident. She, it was an accident. Yeah, exactly. She's like, no. I did it. Yeah. He died because of me. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I love that. Like, what? Like, I think Aang's the one saying, like, what, what, what? Maybe he fell because he did. He was too stubborn. And she goes, I don't really see the difference. Yeah, like she's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like stonewalling her. That is that is the highlight of this episode. Is just Avatar Kiyoshi shows up and speaks for herself, and it's great. Yeah, good, good uh, personality and more morality development for Aang and. We see more of what what Avatar Kyoshi is like. Sokka loses his boomerang and gets a nice hat out of it. So, yeah, because yeah. uh, he has chap- <laughs> he has an item identity crisis where he's like, oh my god, he's like Aang has a staff and you have your hair things, Katar. <laughs> <laughs> Continue. Uh, I'm sorry. Chapter six: The Blind Bandit. Okay. Here this, we go. This was the episode that I was so excited for Brian to see. Brian, do you want to tell us what happens in the Blind Bandit? <laughs> uh, the best thing ever happens. One is where we meet Toph Bei Fong, who is the 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 new the newest team, the newest member of Team Avatar. However, she is currently the champion Earthbender in the Earthbending tournament or like federation it's like of the Rumble Ring or something. Yeah, oh, oh, it's um. It's pro wrestling, but they're actually It's like wrestling. Rumble. Yeah, it was like Rumble Ring or something, whatever you're talking about. By the way, the Boulder, the who Boulder. is obviously, obviously a parody of The Rock because they couldn't get, you know, whatever. 
um, is played by professional wrestler Mick Foley. So enjoy. Of course, they got a pro wrestler for it. Um, This whole episode is great on multiple levels because I think this actually shows the skills of the writers by basically having a pre-built character in Toph, who is this 12... She is as old as Aang She's younger. should be. She She's 12 years old, and he's maybe 12, 13 at this point. Like, he is literally... They're, they're as close as age as anyone else is going to get on Team Avatar because Sokka's, like, 16, and Katara's, like, 14, mm-hmm. right? So, like, Toph is basically the same age as Aang, or more or less, right? And the brilliance of this episode is they managed to just immediately tell you who she is in every scene that she's in. Every aspect of her is brought together. I had a conversation with my friend Matt about this, where he was noting that some people were complaining that Toph doesn't get a lot of development, but the argument was she's already like 85% of the way done as a character. When we meet her, like she starts Mm -hmm. as this fleshed out character who knows what she wants, knows what she likes, knows what she dislikes and is able to express that both through dialogue and her earthbending because it's fucking radical, the shit she does. So in the (laughs) episode, uh, and the end of the episode, uh, Return to Almashu, Boomi says you need to find a teacher who will wait and listen, someone who practices what is called neutral gin in this universe. Um, And they find Toph Beifong, who is called the blind bandit and who just whips through the rumble ring or whatever the, the big rock smash. No, the boulder rips through it and she is the end that's right. boss. Oh, that's she right. Is she the is the end boss. game boss. And she just beats the fuck out of the boulder very easily. Like, yeah. Well, the rest of them are like really flashy shows. She's like one shot and just, he knocks them out. Yeah. And so they ask like, is anyone strong enough to take on the blind bandit? And Aang jumps in like, hi, I'm the avatar. I would like you to teach me airbending shows. Uh, no, I'm here to fight. Let's, yeah. let's fucking, let's do this right now. <laughs> and she like sends him off, uh, gives him his nickname Twinkle Toes. And uh, at the end, the they think that they rigged the game because they've never seen airbending before. So Aang does knock Toph out. But because there was no earth moving, they think like, oh, the blind bandit took a fall. Now we need to fight all the Looking wrestlers again. So we get yeah. to see Toph Beifong uh, and her style of earthbending, which is inspired by Wen Chun, right? Like, uh, it's very... I'm not... You're the one who knows better. I know that most earthbenders are inspired by one Hungar. style. Was and, it Hungar? And Toph, yeah, Toph is a different one. Yeah, because if you look at her stance, um, there's it's a lot more like... Um, single blocks and hits at the same time, and she has she does the like the feet out spacing to like yes. get her kind of like bent in stance, and they refer to it as like uh, snake and crane style, which I think is what Wing Chun that would be Wing Chun, yeah, yeah is referred to as. But she like just rips through all the wrestlers at once, and <laughs> her family has thought that she's this helpful, helpless little blind girl when in reality she has learned a unique style of earthbending from the badger moles themselves and. At the end of the episode, she begrudgingly like decides to come with them <laughs> by escaping her her rich parents, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's one of my favorite episodes, and it has some of my favorite fight stuff in it because it's just definitely she. Yeah, it's there. Yeah. Lo- love the boulder. Love talk. Yeah. The boulder takes offense to this. <laughs> yeah. What, no, I, the, the, what it, I love the yeah, boulder has ethical questions about fighting a girl or, or like a blind girl. And then she makes fun of him and he's like, 
the boulder no longer has these ethical questions. <laughs> Maybe we should call that's you the pebble, dude. and that's yeah. And he's like, oh, here we go. <laughs> Uh, Toph, by the way, can basically see better than everybody else by using earthbending to sense the vibrations and everything. She uses her feet so she, to see, yeah. Like. Yeah. So she does not wear shoes, and she's going to have trouble seeing if she's not on Earth. Not like the planet it, like, Earth, like not on rock or dirt earthbendable exactly, yeah. item. Yeah. Chapter 7, Zuko alone. So this, oh, I love this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, this is actually my favorite single episode uh, of Ooh. Avatar. Um, Interesting. Like I thought about it a lot. There's a couple that I really like apart from this, but this one is it. Um, we see at the end of season one, um, or no? Did we skip the chase? The ch- no, that's next. okay. Well, we see um, that Av- <laughs> that Zuko and Iroh have decided to part ways because Zuko is conflicted and he doesn't think they have anything to gain by traveling together anymore. So this is Zuko alone. And we get a lot of Zuko's backstory about his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so while he is in this Earth Kingdom town, like a little provincial farming town that is being terrorized by Earth Kingdom thugs, um, like they're just military guys abusing power in their own position, you get a lot of, like, Zuko's backstory where his mother is kind of, like, uh, telling him, raising him to be, like, a better person, to be a good person, to embrace, like, the sensitivity that he has and, like, the to not be like Azula, pretty much. (laughs) Um, so we get a little bit of that, that <laughs> like, background. Like, don't let Ozai and Azula fucking ruin this kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so... It's important to note during the, some of those flashbacks that you can see that the mother is doting more on Zuko than on Azula. Very yes. clearly. Yeah. Like... Um, so we'll, we'll keep we'll keep bringing that up. Cause for sure. Oh, yeah. Like Iroh says in season three. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, no. Uh, the... Additionally, I want to mention that Taylor, you said it was the Earth Kingdom soldiers that were there, like terrorizing this town, and that was not a typo, right? That that is the That's Earth Kingdom correct. who we know it, who are supposed to be the good guys, yeah. are the ones here terrorizing this town of innocent, also Earth bent Earth Kingdom. People. Yeah, they're supposed to be um, there to protect the town, but they're just abusing power and abusing like farmers, like to be bullies. Yeah, because the show will continue to like their stance is really a, lot, a much more realistic one where there's not one country that is all good all the way through, yeah. right? Like, yeah. with the normal things that happen during war happen. What I, it's the cost of war. Yeah, like, yeah. This, it's exactly what what they bring up before and they continue through is what does war do to people? Like, what does it do to your morals? What does it do to your ethics? What does it do to your soul? Like, that sort of thing. So this is a great episode for uh, how I how I define Zuko's arch is like the quest for identity. What is it that defines me as Zuko? Mm-hmm. Am I the the next Fire Lord? Am I you know do, do I listen to Iroh? Like who, like what is it that makes Zuko himself? Yeah, and that's like, like a lot of the source of his conflict. Like am I a failure? Am I searching? Am I reaching? And it's fun in this episode. Like I think it's very cleverly done where it's clear he gets the wrong message from these memories that he's having. Um, because at the end, when his mother is forced to flee, so let's back up. He is fighting the bullies, and he's not using firebending because he doesn't want anyone to know who he is. So he's using it's his double broadswords, and it's awesome. It's literally a western. Think oh, of awesome. the mysterious yeah, yeah, stranger yeah. rides into town, oh, finds yeah. the town in trouble, and agrees to help them because a charming kid. It, I, it's basically um. Good, bad, and ugly. People probably haven't seen it, but Shane is one of the. It's one of the classic westerns, and it has a different ending than this. But 
like the kid pleading to this lone gunman who walks into town you gotta who can help change us. his life like it, that's exact that's basically the storyline of this episode for Zuko the, those types of story like this storyline always reminds me of Roroni Kenshin dude. yes yeah. oh, to go yeah, back yeah, and yeah, watch yeah. all 100%, of 100% fucking Posei dude <laughs> doing an episode on that um so i i um the one of the reasons that i absolutely adore this is the final memory while he's defeating these bullies and he can't quite beat this one earthbender who doesn't seem all that strong like he has to use these massive hammers he's a kind basic of, earthbender yeah, yeah like, like a basic a basic earthbender and um the, his memory is of his mother the night that she had to flee and her last words to her to her son were never forget who you are mm-hmm. and we think like cool in this moment where Zuko's trying to defend, like, the helpless, this is what surely she meant. And Zuko stands up, starts firebending up a storm, and say, I am Zuko, crown prince of the Fire Nation. <laughs> it's, what? No! Son of no that was not the part of your identity yeah, you were like... supposed to get. Uh, and then, like, he's yeah. run out of town. Because, like, no, we know who you are. You're a freak, and your father disowned you, and get out of here. Well, that was, that was the best, that was the most striking part to me, and I loved that the, um... I love that the writers did this in this episode was there is no escape from that prejudice. Like he, he saves them. He saves them from these fucking bullies. But because he honestly, I don't even know if it's the firebending. I think the firebending could have been explained of like, I was a reject of whatever I was, I was cast away and now I'm here to basically help other people. But he does that firebending. And then he proudly like Taylor was talking about, proudly exclaims because the earthbender goes who are you and he's like i am zuko son of ursa and fire lord ozai heir to the throne like he goes in this whole speech and the kid who has been tied up to the middle like in the post in the middle of town is like get away from me this is a kid who through the whole episode has been like you're great he taught him how to use dual swords they talked about his brother like a lot of emotional impact here and he is, they're like, go away. I hate you. Like, I hate you. Literally saves their lives. He's like, I hate yeah. you. Like, yeah. Well, because he's not just like one Nazi rolling in town, right? He, he is, like busts out the, it's literally the military weapons. Himmler, and, he's like, I and you're am like, Hitler's oh no. Yeah, son. like, I am proud to be Hitler. Exactly. Son. And he's yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's, again, another thing of the, the cost and the impact of war is. Even though they had these moments together, that bias, because of the conflict that's going on, is going to win out. And that cost hits Zuko on some level. Because he didn't have to. He doesn't at the first half of this. He's basically like, I don't give a shit. I'm just here to do whatever. Because in the previous episodes, I feel like we always skip out on Zuko's like side stories in the other episodes on accident. But okay. we just it's fine. Um He's been stealing as the blue spirit. He's been willing to, like, take stuff. Because he's like, I don't deserve... We don't deserve to live like beggars right now. Or like peasants. We have to fight for our food. We have to do what we can. And this is a time where he's thinking of someone else. And it gets repaid with basically getting spat on. Like, it's it's an interesting moment for Zuko in that storyline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next chapter, 8, is The Chase. 
So the mm. chase... Taylor, you said you said something about this one. Yeah, this is where we really get the introduction of like Team Anti Avatar, um, where it's Azula, Mai, Azula. and yeah, Ty like... Lee, uh, May and Ty Lee. Yeah, and they they're just literally chasing like the, she has the industrial power of a militarized nation behind her. So yeah, they're they're catching up pretty easily to you know yeah. our our Team Avatar riding on the back of a bison. So like, and it's starting to wear on them. Like they can't get a whole night's sleep. Uh, you know, they they keep getting caught. They keep getting caught. And this is the first time where we really get the introduction between um, Team Avatar and Azula, where Azula like reveals like she is Zuko's sister. This is how it's going to go down. Um, and like more, just more fleshing out of that character, uh, as well Azula, as Mai and Tylee. Azula is also voiced by Mandy from The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. I as knew well I as, recognized oh, her voice. As yeah. well as Vicky from Fairly Odd Parents. Go oh, down. Um, I believe that's also correct. She is, yeah, like she has a very distinct and fascinating voice. Uh, another great. Another quality voice actor in this. Like, everyone's great in this, but, like, it's funny to see, like, the veterans who have been through, like, everything show up in this for, like, important parts. Yeah. Um, Can I just say that I love the original Grim and Evil? You remember when they when it when first it was came the, out? The devil it was, was also half, there. Yeah, like... It was half uh, uh, Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy and half Evil Kung Carne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Just the the bear, the fucking brain Dude, and the stomach. I always loved. I just loved the intro because it would be like they, there was like a like a hypnotic sort of like green circle going on, and it would be like grim, and he would move forward and laugh, and then it'd be evil, and then he would move forward and laugh, and they kept competing for who was the more important person. <laughs> like little yeah, things like that were so good. Uh, in this episode Love of the Chase, we do have a nice crossover here between Toph, who is refusing to like participate in the group, thinking that like. No, if I mm. take care of just myself, I only have to worry about myself. Like, I gave up everything I own to teach Aang earthbending. Like, I don't need to do this extra shit, like, help set up camp. And there's some tension there. And it's resolved because um, they have a fight, Aang and Toph, and he ends up, like, sending her away, saying one of those things that you regret immediately. Yeah. And she runs, and who does she meet on the road but Iroh? And, of course, Toph yes. has never met Iroh, but Iroh has the sage advice of, like, you know, over a tea ceremony. And Toph says to him, like, see, everyone thinks I'm helpless. You wouldn't even let me pour my own tea. And he goes, I poured you tea because that is a polite thing to do. And because and I, I wanted, wanted to, to yeah, pour like- you tea. <laughs> like, it is important to accept the help of others. And it's just, like, another beautiful moment out of, out of Iroh. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings us to Chapter 9, Bitter Work. Bitter work. So we finally work. get to Aang learning earthbending. Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. I was, yeah. the, the title did not give any information no. to me, so I was like, which episode is this? I just want everyone to know that <laughs> Jorge, it, yeah. Jorge has all the titles here. I'm doing all of this from memory of my <laughs> five, six watches. Whatever. Now. I only have the titles, dude. I'm not, yeah. I don't remember. I didn't even look at these titles ahead of time. So um, <laughs> Aang. This is a good one. I think the the best way to describe this episode is a an exchange of dialogue between Aang and Katara, where they're Aang is having some sort of frustration, like a mental block with how earthbending works. And she says, well, if fire and water are opposites, what is the opposite of air? And he goes, well, it must be earth. And like, that's why you're having difficulty with this. You're dealing with your natural opposite. Airbending is all about angles and cleverness. And earthbending is about, no, there's a rock and you need to stop it or you need to push it. And it's going to hurt you or hurt them. Those are your choices. Now, like, yeah. pony up to twinkle toes and punch that goddamn rock. It's what, what I love about this episode is that it brings to light that... The Avatar state for Aang 
is something foreign. Because we've seen Aang deal with direct conflicts before via force in the Avatar state. But not, Mm -hmm. like, he is willing to move around and flow like an airbender, but he can't sit there. And it was very frustrating for me to watch, but that's the point of it, (laughs) is his refusal to, like, directly address things. He always wants to, like, I can find a way around this or can, you know. I can be quick. I I can be clever. Or even like I can um, I can compromise or deal like I can I can talk this out with someone and it's like no, there's a point where you have to stand and fight and you have to say that I'm right and you're wrong on certain things. You have to do that and Ang, up to that point, isn't willing to and he gets put in a position where he has to do that. Um, and that they do it through earthbending as the metaphor. Exactly. Like it's very, exactly. it's a, it's a clever done. Cause not only does it characterize like what the earthbender is, like what the mentality of the earthbender is, but it, it, it is a moment of growth where Aang has to adopt some of that in order to be successful exactly. as you know, like the, the savior of the world. Yes, exactly. Whereas in the meantime, Sokka is having kind of the opposite <laughs> lesson. Oh my God. Uh, he gets stuck in a crack in the ground gets... with only a like a saber tooth moose baby. Moose a lion. Yeah, like saber tooth moose lion. Yeah. Moose lion. Uh, and he's stuck in the ground pretty much up to his shoulders. <laughs> and any amount of like whatever he's trying does not help and only makes the situation worse. I don't really know what the message was from him there. He ends up begging to God to let him out and that he will stop eating animals or meat if, <laughs> he will, if they let him out of there. He will be like, if you, if I get out of this, I will. I get. I get it. I. I will give up meat yeah. and sarcasm. It's pretty yeah. much all I got. <laughs> I am the meat and sarcasm dude, but I can be the veggies and straight talking fellow. Yeah. <laughs> He gets out, and his first line is, Oh, Aang, thank God. Do you have any meat? (laughs) (laughs) You've learned nothing. (laughs) Uh, It was more of a comedy bit, but yeah, exactly. Dirt 10. (laughs) Sorry. The library. Least Uh, favorite episode in the entire series. This is when they started going through the desert, and they come across the big owl library, right? (laughs) Yeah, Wan Shitan's library. Wan yeah. Shitan is a knowledge spirit, he who knows 10,000 things, and he brought his spirit library to the physical world in order to share his learning with humanity. Uh, however, after seeing that humanity has a fabulous propensity to only use the knowledge available in order to gain some sort of advantage over their enemies, he decided, like, no, I'm, I'm just going to let it be buried by the desert. I'm done with this. Yeah. But Team Avatar finds it with the help of the head of anthropology at Bossing Se University. And <laughs> like any media portrayal of an academic, it is entirely right. He is <laughs> terrible. Uh, he just ignores what's in front of his eyes and is just really excited to like, oh my God, you're a living artifact. What was the main agricultural export of your people? And Aang is uh, is that like farming? I don't know. <laughs> He's like, what? Um, yeah. So they do the the reason that the owl. I'm not. I don't remember his Wan name. Chitan. Wan Chitan, uh allows like takes the library away from everybody is because they do a flashback of Admiral Zhao, who probably wasn't an admiral at that point, in the library, stealing the learning the knowledge the, of the Moon Spirit. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Finding yeah. out that he can do that shit with the Moon Spirit and that it's located in the Northern Water. Tribe. Exactly. So that's kind of cool. Um, well, it's a great parallel to what happens in the story. Like, in this episode, because yeah. they go in, and Sokka is basically like, 
I'm going to break your rules. Like, he just basically says mm -hmm. it right to his face. And the owl is like, well, then get the fuck out. And everyone else has to go, no, 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 no. He's cool. We'll keep him in line. And they actually offer... Um, they offer uh, books or scrolls and information to the owl to uh, I can't I can't remember it. Um, well, that's always the ticket. The ticket for exactly. entry is the cost to teach is him something new. Yeah, contribute like new to contribute to the library, and they all give various. They give good different things uh, to varying levels of success. And the thing about what it is, Sokka is give? he gives a knot in the shape of a butterfly and Wanchitan's response is like I guess that technically counts yeah he's literally like fine um, um, so yeah. I like what you were talking about with the parallelism because as Zhao found a way to remove waterbender's ability to bend uh, Sokka finds out like that firebenders derive fire like their, their ability to bend fire from the sun so mm -hmm. during a solar eclipse firebenders will lose their ability to bend and that there will be a solar eclipse at the end of the summer. Exactly. Like they, they learned of this window of opportunity. Cause I believe it's before the comet. I think yes. it's like the whole it will thing happen is before the comet. Exactly. So they have this window of opportunity and Sokka is so frustrating to me. I talked about this with some, my other friends, but like he is so blatant in what he is doing. And it's like, did you not listen to the owl who told you that he doesn't like when people use this for gain, like be subtle on that's some the only level. Reason like, that's that's only <laughs> the only reason that they're there. He wouldn't not do that just so he can go read other. I books, know, but know? like it's just, yeah. Oh my god! And that's no. the line. That's the yeah, line he like, has. Once you like, all right, if you're not here to find military gain on someone else, what are you here for? And Sokka, like scrounging. <laughs> Knowledge for knowledge's, knowledge's sake. sake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh fuck you! <laughs> but I mean, but the um, professor is there for that. Like the professor ends up staying in this place because yeah. he's like, this is an amazing wealth of information. Like he he actually is there for the sake of knowledge. So they are discovered. This, uh, this library actually shows back up in Legend of Korra. Really? And yeah, they <laughs> they show that 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 that. Uh, academic like literally died and became a skeleton sitting there reading those books. Completely fair. Yeah. Like, his he skeleton knew, I mean, is still he in the knew, library. He knew that. He knew that. Yeah. Um, so while they are exploring, oh. uh, Appa cannot enter the library because he's too big. So it's too Toph, small of a passage. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the first of many blind jokes that are going to happen in this show is Toph goes, yeah, I've held a book once. Mm, didn't really do anything for me. So she decides <laughs> to stay with Appa a group of sandbenders who are the native uh, earthbenders to the desert. They they specialize in sand. Um, come and they steal Appa. Uh, and Toph is, has to make the impossible choice because at this moment, the Wanshitan is trying to take the library out of the physical world by sinking it into the ground and like removing it from this reality. So Toph, by herself, is holding up a literal building and has to make the choice to save all of her friends because she can't do both at the same time, save Appa and save them. So they are they escape, but only at the price of Appa being captured. That's the that's the this is the thing that really one it really made me mad at Sokka because he was being such a fucking pompous dick about how obvious he was. I'm like, dude, fucking at least put some subtlety on this. But again, that's what causes uh, the owl to fucking realize what's happening. Toph is has her arms buried in this tower, and it's the only way out at this point. And she can feel, because the, the thing about sand is it's so coarse and rough and it gets everywhere. Um, it, it, it's so... <laughs> just drop a goddamn <laughs> Star Wars whatever. quote? Whatever, don't worry a about it. A hating Christensen um, quote? It's so... 
it's it's too nebulous. It's not as firm as Earth, so she can't see as well. Like it is blurry for her. That's the whole thing. So that's what makes it actually bad because if it was just some sandbenders against Toph, she could time it and fucking blow them away. She hears Appa. She knows Appa is being kidnapped by these sandbenders and is holding this tower and occasionally just desperately throws a swing the other way because she wants to save Appa and can't do it because she doesn't know where to throw it. She just lets go of the tower for a second and throws like two strikes and it's, then has to gr drill back into the tower also, to save her friends. It's also because she hasn't practiced sandbending before. Like she, she makes no, a point yeah, of saying no that she actually do doesn't it, yeah. know how to sandbend. Exactly. Like it, it's, she's put in this impossible situation and it's just so sad because she has to give up at a point when she hears Appa screaming for help and she's just like, I'm sorry, Appa, and has yeah. to like sit there and deal with it. Like, which very which sad I, episode. I don't love the next few episodes. Dude, honestly, because so everybody's mad upset. At the last two episodes, like, <laughs> like I know they're gonna get Appa back, so it's also not as interesting as of a plot line to me. And I'm like, can you just can you just get him back and like let not make us go through yeah, all this? Like uh, so chapter eleven is the desert, yeah, which is just them the traveling through the, the desert. desert trying to get out. Uh, <laughs> Ang, 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 in his grief, Momo and yeah, like, Sokka eat poisonous cactus. The and LSD are cactus the whole time. juice, yes. Yeah, yeah, they they're just on peyote. <laughs> yeah, they're on ayahuasca, whatever. After that is chapter twelve, the serpents pass. Um, so with oh, this information this um, that they got from Wan Chitan's library about the solar eclipse, in like a very vulnerable moment for the Fire Nation, their first instinct is to go to Ba Sing Se, where the Earth King, who is like the the Lord of the Kings of the Earth Kingdom, um, to give him this information. Like this is an opportunity to strike back. So that's why they're trying to go to Ba Sing Se. However, without Appa, travel's a little bit harder in a pre-industrial world. <laughs> so they have to walk, and the only way from where they are to Ba Sing Se is this uh, mountain range called the Serpent's Pass. Actually, it's not. But the oh, benefit right. of this oh, is God. they go. They meet this. Uh, they meet this couple. Uh, this pregnant couple. There's a, a husband and wife, and they have the wife is expecting. And there's also a great little moment with Zuko with this couple where he sees them and he sees the meat that they're grilling and he's like, I'm going to, he grabs his swords and he's like, I'm totally going to steal from the, the, whoever these fucking people are. And then he sees that the wife is expecting with child and he puts his swords away and keeps going on his horse. Like a, a, a small, very brief moment that does show that he is progressing as a person yeah. under like he's not willing to rob a pregnant woman for her food even though he's starving um, we um yeah yeah so it, one of those lost moments they try to get into bossing say through the official channel which is a ferry and yes. they you know shenanigans ensue and they can't cross were they able to they would have met iroh and zuko who are now trying to go to bossing say as refugees yeah um Really quickly, because I don't think we've talked about it. Have we had the moment where Iroh and Zuko are in that abandoned building and um, Iroh kind of delivers his philosophy? Uh, when he teaches Zuko how to redirect lightning? Yeah, it happens. We also Maybe it's the desert. We also okay. completely missed the three-way no. fight between Zuko, Aang, and Azula. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's we what we're talking that. about. That's that, near. That's what I'm. That's why I'm bringing. I'm pulling it back to like yeah. that's what exactly. That's the end of the chase, and then a B plot during the desert is Zuko and Iroh are together, and like they've rejoined, mm -hmm. and Iroh delivers this philosophy, which is one is one of my favorite lines in the entire show, 
and uh, he describes the character of each of the four nations, like their cultural character that is reflected in their bending. Um, and Zuko says, like, all oh, this sounds like Avatar stuff. I don't know why you're telling me about this in order to be a better firebender. And he says, well, you have to take knowledge from different sources. When it becomes separated and regimented, it becomes stale. Um, so, like, wisdom needs to be taken from a variety of sources in order for it to be useful, in order for you to grow. And I, yeah. I love that moment. Definitely. But they I get to no Bossy, say. <laughs> no, sorry. There that the the whole thing is that in the Serpent's Pass episode is they are on their way to Bossing Say uh via the ferry as well, which is where they run into during this B plot, uh Toph uses her influence to try to get them tickets, and it almost works, but they can't get the they can't get the pregnant couple tickets using that influence. So they just say, fuck it, and Aang goes, I'm gonna take you across the Serpent's Pass myself. Like, he is very Avatar, I'm a protector mode, and he goes, fuck it, we're going to go the long way, and I'm going to make sure you get there. Um, Zuko and Iroh, Zuko mainly, but they're on the ferry over, and they meet up with Jet. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just confirmed that that three-way fight happens at the end of the chase. Thank you, thank you. Which makes sense. Thank you for formally, because yeah. that's a good, oh yeah, because Aang fucks off and he goes, I'm going to go do, anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. So um, <laughs> Zuko with his broadswords is an appealing candidate for Jet's freedom fighters who he's trying to reform, but they're also trying to go straight. Now. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, everyone else has abandoned him because he's a psychopath. Or being captured by the fighters. Exactly, or been yeah. captured. Or of luck, weirdly, that's the nicer option. It's um, Smellerby and Longshot are the only two left now. <laughs> so they meet them and Jet at the end of this exchange, like he really kind of likes Zuko and he asks if Zuko wants to be a freedom fighter and he goes like, look man, you don't want me in your gang. Like, just please leave me alone. In the background, Iroh has served some bad cold tea, which I don't like because I love iced tea. Um, no, it's not iced tea. It's just cold, it's just tea bad that's gone tea. Cold. Like, so Iroh very subtly like heats up his mug in his hand with fire bending, and Jet figures it out. He sees it, um, and he goes, oh, my fucking God, yeah. Yeah, so now Jet, who we've seen all, already has a problem with obsession with the Fire Nation, how evil they are, like now he can't go straight because he knows that these two firebenders are getting into Ba Sing Se, which gets us to... Uh, Chapter 12, 13, the drill. The Is that drill. what you were doing? Yes. The When they finally go through the Serpent's Pass, everyone, th everything seems to be hunky-dory. The baby from the previous episode has been delivered. It's named Hope. The Avatar is allowed Ooh. to feel I hope again. Say, it's a little I, on the nose. That's why I wanted to skip I, over it, because it is kind of corny. More than a little. It's yeah. goddamn corny. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Drill, like the whole episode of the drill is Azula and her gang trying to drill into the wall of bossing say and team avatar being able to stop it they, but they do a good job of making it like seem very impossible and they manage again to do it, 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 it is the 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 skill of this show is that simple episodes that are basically staples of most seasons of shows they can do very well so like you enjoy watching them figure out how do we stop this drill oh we can use this fun ability that we have and then they figure it out and they get a twist and blah 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 just a very fun episode. Yeah, not a plot-heavy one, but, like, correct. a cool episode to watch. It's basically yeah. an action yeah. set piece, and it's good. Chapter 14, City of Walls and Secrets, which they are being led around, bossing say, and find out that things are amiss. They're being led by what some Judy. people call the scariest villain in the show <laughs> is Judy. <laughs> yeah, who tells them there is no war in bossing say? 
um, there has been a disinformation campaign within the walls of Ba Sing Se to deny the existence of the Hundred Years' War, and it's mostly successful. It's been perpetrated by this secret police group called the Dai Li, who is run by... I forget his name. Long, uh, Long, Long, Fang. Fang. Long Fang. Long Fang, who is the cultural secretariat or grand secretariat. He yes. has one of those... Cultural like, minister, I think. It's cultural sort of, minister. Yeah. Like, he has one of those sinister titles, like, oh, like, you are the steward of Gondor. Like, it's it's a very <laughs> similar yeah, position. Like uh, and they try to inform the also, Earth King about this war, and they find out that he's just a figurehead. Yes. Go for it. I, I do want to say a fun fact about uh, Long Fang is he is played by one Clancy Brown, who is another prolific voice actor who played Eugene Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, Mr. Shit. Krabs is long fan. <laughs> That's good. He's God, done a million other things. Like he's he's obviously very prolific, but like um it's just funny that Mr. Krabs is the biggest one you can put for him. <laughs> That's fucking bananas. Yeah, like <laughs> God, I love that. Uh so that that whole situation is obviously not resolved by the end of ep- of that episode, no. but we move into chapter fifteen, the tales of Boston. Okay, and uh, second do, favorite episode. Why do we have to? Why do we? Well, let's just not talk about this so I don't cry on microphone. Okay, let's not do that. But <laughs> it's a vignette this, episode, which is yeah, not always well received, dude, but very much well received it, here. It is a mate. Okay, this is actually where I want to just go on a little bit of a rant about the show go because. For it. Vignette episodes of television shows are almost, and if you don't know the quick thing, it should be pretty easy from the thing, but it's like a series of small stories, right? Like that's basically what happens in most vignette episodes of something. Um, But a lot of vignette episodes happen in 48 minute long shows. That's typically those hour long shows cut for commercials, right? Um, This is a 22 minute show. It has half an hour minus commercials, which is about eight minutes, to tell its story every week. And it chooses to do a vignette episode. So these vignettes are maybe three minutes long apiece because there's one for Aang. There's one for Katara and Toph together. uh, There's one for Zuko. There's one for Iroh. And there's one for Sokka. That's five. So they maybe have three minutes. Like, it's very limited the time that they have. And the ability of these writers and these actors and these animators to put together distinct stories that keep all the characters going and move you emotionally is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen in animation and in a lot of television shows. Like the economy of the writing in this episode is. Oh my God. Like everything goes right when you think it should go wrong like <laughs> so no, it's very good there's three sort of throwaway ones i think the iro and the uh the zuko one are the, like the most important for character that we get um ang <laughs> makes a zoo that's all you need to know about that um that one's a throwaway. that one's a throwaway Toph one and for Katara, sure Toph learns to accept embrace her, her feminine own, side exactly yeah um as well as you know not compromising yeah. her badassery Next up, we have uh, Asaka learns nothing. Um, he learns no, what he... the art of the haiku is, yeah. and he tries to like haiku rap battle, um, like a very prissy haiku mastress master. He does pretty good. Dude, she does. Like, he hers wins. are like really like... nice haikus, and he keeps doing things like 
slip slap sling that slang you know, yeah like that and he gets his ass kicked and he learns nothing and Sokka <laughs> continues to be himself but the meat of this episode I think are Zuko and Iroh's yeah. um Zuko has this alternate identity that he's taken on in the in, while in the earth kingdom and he calls himself Lee because there's a million Lees uh which is a line that is repeated several times throughout the show so he is working in a tea shop with Iroh and a pretty girl is there and he says to Iroh like I think someone else knows that we're Fire Nation she's been here every day and Iroh goes like no she's just got it she's just got it bad for you buddy and he sets up a date between this girl and Zuko as Lee and Zuko in spite of himself like has a really nice time like when he he gets to embrace an identity that is not the prince of the Fire Nation son of Fire Lord Ozai and What's his mother's name? Ursa. Ursa. Like, he ends up having a really sweet time, and he pouts, and he comes home, and he slams the door, and Uncle Iroh says, how was it? And he cracks open the door just a little bit and says, it was nice. Yeah. And that's, like, the like the chillest Zuko has ever in his entire life been able to be and has ever been. Yeah. And it was it's a nice episode. But the greatest thing about the Tales of Ba Sing Se is Iroh's story. Iroh. Brian, you want to do that one? Go for it, buddy. I, okay, so... <laughs> Oh, without crying I, please. Ooh, what oh, trying to like might as well say fucking hey lift the empire state building with one finger um it's, iroh is walking through the streets and he is first seen buying a picnic basket and the shop owner is like well if you want if you're looking for a romantic you know picnic basket try this one as lavender blah 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 and he's like thank you but i have this is an important occasion, but it's not a romantic occasion. And we're like, okay. And he ends up walking through the streets. He's just experiencing the city of Ba Sing Se. He calms down a child with a surprise uh, musical performance by singing this song to this kid who ends up quieting and pulling on his beard for comedic effect and gets this kid. This kid feels better about it. And they're like, great, this is awesome. He runs into a pair of, or a set of like, maybe nine, ten-year-olds, something like that, maybe like tweens-ish sort of age, who are playing an earthbending sort of soccer-style game. They break a window, and <laughs> Iroh hits them with the great knowledge of some. most of the time it is best to uh, face responsibility and apologize for your actions, and this giant of a human being sticks his face through the whole window and is like, the next thing that's going to be broken is you. And he's like, <laughs> but not this time. Run. And they all run off in a little thing. Um, and he ends up getting potentially mugged by this, you know, 20-something, right? Who's like, give me your stuff. And he's like, You're, are you mugging me? This this won't do at all. And he trips it. Like, he demonstrates how off balance the guy is. And he ends up talking to him about how he's not the criminal type. And he talks him through, like, this guy's life and he's like by the end of it he goes do you think i really could be a masseur and he's like you'd be amazing at it <laughs> and he kind of sends him on his way and it ends with iroh going to this tree and setting up a a small memorial to his son luten who died in the siege of bossing say and iroh starts singing this song called leaves from the vine and I, I, I can't stress this enough. I'm saying this. This is kind of hyperbole, but it really isn't. If you watch this, having watched the whole show, and you don't 
like tear up on some level even if it's just like you take a moment to like breathe or like catch your breath sort of thing if you don't do that i don't know if you have a heart like object like i know it's hyperbolic it this is one of the most emotional things because he just says happy birthday son and then he says if only i could have helped you and that's the interesting thing before he starts singing and he actually his voice cracks during this and this is where i wanted to bring up the voice actor behind this because the voice actor behind this is a guy named uh mako uh who is a prominent japanese actor he's been in multiple things he's done voice acting he's done regular acting he was in sand pebbles which is an american movie about world war ii things uh who got he got nominated for i believe his best supporting actor um he a legend an absolute legend he's been voicing iroh this whole time and my understanding is that from what i read online was he actually wrote leaves from the vine which is the song that iroh sings about which is about soldiers and no, the I impact had not of heard war that. Yeah. um again dealing with this war impact situation and how it affects people in different ways and what it does to people um where we've we've heard about what iroh did during the siege of bossing say and how it affected him and how his son and we get to watch it unfold we get to watch the pain and suffering that iroh is dealing with and how he is trying to heal himself by healing the world how he has helped he has helped men boys from infancy to adulthood in this two-minute vignette and then laments that he could not help his own son on the on his own birthday like i was uh, it's just one of the saddest things yeah it's one of the biggest heartbreaks um i've i've ever experienced with most media and i know that's very hyperbolic but like it's it's a lot they also hit you with it at the end yeah this um, is the that thing. this whole episode is in memoriam of mako who had died he died of uh, cancer pretty much just right after that like it was oh my god yeah so it's yep. it's, a, it's a good one it's a good one yeah so y'all picked apart every story from that vignettes one so to win back some time i'm gonna clump together the next three episodes we did That's chapter fine. 16 Appa's Lost Days, Chapter 17, Lake Laogai, Chapter 18, The Earth King. Because they're all pretty much in the same kind of It's one uh, level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is also why I, I get kind of bored mid-season two, I do honestly. Too. Except for some of the ones like that, that the vignettes. Because um, I don't... I love the comment that they're making with, like, the, the Dai Li yes. and the secret police and, like, the yeah misinformation campaigns and things like it's that. It's just China. <laughs> yeah, it comes off super well. Love that it's in there. Hate watching that many episodes about it yeah, yeah i get kind of i get what you mean yeah yeah, yeah th- those three episodes together like appa's been kidnapped in appa's lost days we see what has been happening to appa this whole time and how he has ended up in bossing say momo also has a tale in tales of bossing say which is oh, what fuck. leads they it's put what, another one in there it's what leads to appa's lost days is because uh the ending shot of tales of bossing say is momo laying in the footprint of appa because he's in the city and then they just yeah. Appa, yeah. Appa's last days explains how he got there. Um, it's a very sad. Million yeah. things happen. Yeah, exactly. Animal cruelty episode. Yeah, it's like yeah. Sarah McLaughlin could have written the the soundtrack. <laughs> just to this listen episode. to Arms of the Angel, and you've got the episode. You don't have to watch yeah. the twenty minute episode. Yeah. You can watch. You can donate now to Sky <laughs> yeah. Bison. The, with uh, 
in Lake Lao guys, when they find the Dai Li secret place and they like save prisoners and they save Appa and chapter 18 is them trying to talk to the earth King and convince him that this shit happened. And they like keep leading him back to places where they've encountered the Dai Li to try to show him evidence of this and the war. Yeah, and we find that the the king himself has no idea. He's been raised in such seclusion that he has no idea that his his nation is at war for 100 years with the Fire Nation. Exactly. Uh, There's one thing I want to bring up in those episodes is Appa's freedom is done by Zuko because there is a great confrontation between Iroh and Zuko. Zuko comes in as the Blue Spirit and is like, I fucking got you. I've got got the Avatar Sky Bison. I'm going to do something. But the... There's one line, and the way it's said perfectly punctuates Zuko's struggle and Iroh's lesson that he wants to fucking shove into Zuko's head, but he can't, is Zuko goes, I've got the Avatar Sky Bison, and Iroh just exasperated goes, and then what? And that is literally, like, they, they go into it in expressive dialogue, or explicit dialogue afterwards, but it's Iroh going, cool, why are you doing this? Like, you don't want to do this. You just think that you have to because you're the son of Fire Lord Ozai. Like, it gets into that identity thing that Zuko's been dealing with the entire season. And he makes the choice to free Appa. Yes. Like, it's it's something so counter to what we've seen Zuko's entire drive to be that it makes him physically ill. Yes. And there's, like, a, a long... Um, a long animation about like the two competing parts one the two dragons within Zuko one voiced by Iroh and one voiced by Azula like which identity is he going to take and he ends up choosing um, directly afterward like the good path the path of like the 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 blue dragon or the red dragon whichever one Iroh voices (laughs) like the good like clearly good one so that gets us um, at the very end of the Earth King episode like great everything's fine Earth King's here. We're all going to split up really quick because we've got some things to take care of before the season finale. And the Earth King's like, ah, now the Kyoshi Warriors. But it is not the Kyoshi Warriors. It is Team Anti-Avatar, Tylee, May, yeah. and Azula, who have taken on the guise of the Kyoshi Warriors so that they can take over Bossing, say, from within. Yeah, probably important to note that the, the Dai Li are still there and still have power in the city it's just long fang that they've thrown yeah, in prison. long fang's been thrown in jail so, yeah and they explicitly say our loyalty is still to you he, they, like, the, the dialy are the visiting right him in him. secret jail and are like the military supports the king but we're totally on your side yeah yeah so then chapter 19 the guru is when everybody's running around separate doing different things uh in since we're already at the earth kingdom it's the whole coup happens yes. with azula taking over shit and she gets the Dai Li to betray Long Fang because they're just genuinely more afraid of her than anybody she else. She has a leader's charisma it, to for all she of has her an, psychoticness she is a leader. Yeah, she has this interesting line. Um this this speech where she just picks apart Long Fang like you didn't you weren't born with power. You had to struggle for everything that you're worth and that's why your men follow you. But me, I was born with the right the, like the, the divine right, right yeah, to lead. Like, and yeah. they recognize it. And yeah. that's why they're going to betray you right now. And they do. And they like stop Long Fang and they pledge their allegiance to Azula and this coup. The best part of that is that it's not even necessarily a betrayal so to speak. But it is a, the Dai Li are curious as to who's going to win. They don't know who is the dominant force. And so she goes, 
they don't know who's going to sit on this throne and who's going to bow. And then she sits on the throne and goes, what are you going to do? And then Long Fang, to his conniving credit, fucking, he goes, you beat me. And he bows down. And then she goes, I think she says, like, don't flatter yourself. You were never a player. Like, she is. It was fucking brutal. She is horrid. She is a horrible person who doesn't believe in the value of any human life except her own and maybe her dad's, but even then, probably not. Like, <laughs> she's just yeah, waiting so the, to be Fire Lord. <laughs> and by doing that, the Fire Nation is officially taking yes. over the capital city of the Earth Kingdoms, which effectively ends the war. If you've war, played right? Civ, that's a really big blow to yeah. do that to someone. <laughs> so this is uh, like our classic... Um, story arc across the seasons where it is the darkest moment right now mm-hmm. they try to take over um boss well they tried like bossing say has been taken over yeah like jorge said the war is essentially over um the meanwhile ang is goes to to see a guru guru, guru patik. patik to uh unlock his avatar state so that he can do whatever at will he needs he can to go at will in and out of the avatar state yeah um but other than that chapter 19 that's is, is there anything oh, else? Oh, he sees that this is where this is where while I love it, this is the most obvious Empire Strikes Back situation because yeah. he is off with Yoda, I mean Guru Patik, to learn about the force, I mean the Avatar state, and uh ends up seeing Han, I mean Katara in trouble, or Leia, I mean Katara in trouble, and um goes back prematurely before he's unlocked all of his chakras. Because the last chakra told him to give up. Oh, that. Had, sorry. This is one of my favorite lines. Is the last chakra to get to at will avatar state is attachment to the material plane. So it's like think about what keeps you here. And he thinks of Katara because he is in love with Katara. <laughs> and they're like get rid of that and follow into the cosmic energy. And Ang goes, wait a minute. Why would I get what rid the of that? How would I do that? He goes. He goes <laughs> That, that was the key three chakras ago. Why would I give that up? Like, it's like, wait, embracing my love was the key yeah, three like, goddamn chakras ago. Why would I get rid of it now? This is a very that's a very funny line from Aang. But Aang rushes back to the Earth Kingdom because he senses Katara, who is who has stayed in the Earth Kingdom, who has been whipped up in the coup because obviously you want to get rid of yes. that threat. She is imprisoned with Zuko, and they have their first one-on-one moment where Zuko is, like, he is, at this moment, choosing to do the right thing and, like, revealing stuff about himself. Like, okay, I, I made some, like, I made some terrible mistakes in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be better right now. And Katara believes him and almost gives up this magical spirit water that she took from the Oasis in the North Pole to try to heal his scar. Like, the thing that literally marks it's him big as this. Yeah, it, it is a big gesture. And at this moment... You know, now we bleed into the last episode, which is chapter 20, The Crossroads of Destiny. So Aang sees um, the trouble that Katara and all of them are in at all are in right now. And we have this final battle between uh, um, Azula and Aang. And yeah, important to note that Aang, by not finishing the last chakra, has shut himself off from the Avatar state. Thank you. Yeah, which looks very cool when he falls away from the. Oh yeah, because it's a big thing. Aang who's yeah, it's awesome. Anyway, yeah. holding the yeah, the universe in his hand, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, so he goes back, and they Azula with her Dai Li fight Team Avatar, and there's a moment where Aang like throws himself 
into like, like he surrounds himself with a rock and he tries to unlock the avatar state like he gives up the cosmic energy or he, he uh, gains the cosmic energy he gives up his attachment like i'm sorry Katara, Katara, but i can't hold on to you because i have to do this right now and he rises up in the avatar state and there's just this one flash of lightning um and you see like from azula's hand and ang falls and like we were told in the first episode of this season if you are killed in the avatar state the avatar ceases to exist and so they find a way to get ang out of there but for all we know he is dead at this moment and zuko who is on this good path has chosen the side of the ultimate corruptor azula this is th- and that's his, him switching sides is the only reason why Aang had to go into the Avatar exactly, state. Like at all. Th- this is the thing about this episode. So there's one. I also want to bring up another Iroh moment before I bring up the final Iroh moment uh, of this season. But uh, before Zuko gets captured, Iroh goes. There's a meeting where Azula is revealed. They reveal like, oh shit, Azula is pretending to be a warrior of Kyoshi. Holy shit, she's here. And Iroh goes, do you know why they call me the Dragon of the West? And he just sips tea and he breathes fire at everyone in the room and fucking demolishes them, giving Zuko and him time to escape from the original Azula attack. But it's just like, oh, that was the coolest fucking thing ever. (laughs) Um, Zuko in this episode is fascinating to me because he is again the crossroads of destiny is a very apt title for everyone involved in this episode because they are all at a situation where they have a choice to make and zuko makes the choice of the pride of his family and the pride of his father and the the acceptance of this family that he has that isn't Iroh because Iroh has already accepted him. Iroh loves him. Iroh would be with him literally if he kept punching him in the face every time he saw him. If he turned around and was like, I hate you, Iroh would still be there. And he takes, because Azula gives him this opportunity, he takes it up and they end up having a two-on-two fight of Azula and Zuko versus Katara and Aang. And Katara and Aang are doing great. They actually do really well. But it ends up being too much for them, especially because the Dai Li come in and a lot of different other aspects of it. And it it just, watching Zuko deal with this victory, because that's what ends up happening, is it's on some levels a victory. Azula hits her lightning on Aang, and that forces Katara, grabs him, and they make a run for it. And Iroh stops Zuko and Azula. Because he's the dragon of the West. Like, he's the best yeah. fucking... He's awesome. He was going to be the yeah, Fire Lord. I can't, stre- I can't stress this enough. He is the older brother of Ozai. He yeah. was going yeah. to be Fire Lord. Like, without a doubt, no questions asked, he was Fire Lord. And he gave that up. And was... Well, he was shafted out of it. But he took a different life from that. But he stops Zuko and Azula from taking the Avatar and Katara... Um, in bossing say and he gets imprisoned for it like he lets go he willingly gets trapped but zuko his only recognition at the end of that episode is i betrayed my uncle it isn't about what he won or what he's gained back or anything like that is the thing he brings up is i betrayed my uncle 
Like, I, right. I think that's just a very key point for him because it took this whole season to see it, but that's what matters to him. And I know yeah. he's he's taken this other path, but, like, that recognition is a very interesting point for Zuko that I'm excited to see where it goes. Oh, yeah. Lots of stuff could happen <laughs> in the third season. Oh, dude, yeah. it's... My favorite season, uh, third season. My favorite episodes are in season two, but third season is my favorite mm. season. Very good. Yeah, it ends on a very dour note. It's not like yeah. uh, Katara uses the waters from the moon spirit pond, and it's unclear if they do anything to Aang. Like, it looks like nothing happens, and she just holds him while they while Appa flies away from Ba Sing Se at the, the monument to their failure. Like, it's... Ugh. Well, it's... I mean, I feel like it's only something you can do when you know how long a show is supposed mm-hmm. to be, right? Like, the whole thing is written, like, the entire time they know it's It's going to be the three seasons books. Long. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So then, like, right at the right time, you have that situation <laughs> where everything is down. Yeah. So that's it, that's oh. what kills it every time, dude. Structure, baby. Good structure. <laughs> it, uh, it, yeah, leads it in. So we will uh, continue talking about season three next week, and we'll finish out our, like, extravaganza on Avatar The Last Airbender. But really quickly, we do have two brief segments for you guys before we finally wrap things up. Because I know this has been a shorter episode, so we wanted to tag some things on the end to make it a little longer. Um, The first thing we've got is a whoopsie doodle little moment. Ah, fuck. Don't you have an intro for that? Yes. No, that's it. I just say that every time. Whoopsie doodle oh, little moment. So he says <laughs> just it, like and then that. there's an intro, and then yeah. Oh, I see. Um, so during during quarantine, this is mine. I this is a goof, not a goof, but just something that's happened to me. Um, over the course of quarantine, I've you know fantasized about living on a farm or on a boat or something, and having you know a life where we, like a little more sustainable and out of the way and. Um, Devin, who I live with, who was on our episode uh, on Lord of the Rings, said, like, well, you're talking about a cottagecore lesbian. Like, everything you've said, you want to be a cottagecore lesbian. And after looking it up, like, yes, that is exactly what I want to be. And apparently my targeted ads heard this, and now I am being advertised menstrual products. Um, the first one to come up was the Flex Cup, which is a diva cup. And I was just smack in the middle of my timeline. And I have... Like, I've prided myself on, like, no, I love my targeted ads. I've bought things for my targeted ads. The internet knows me, and the internet knows me so well, it now acknowledges me as a cottagecore lesbian woman. (laughs) So, like, I am, in the eyes of the Google spiders, I am am a woman, and I am gay. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, so that, I just thought that was super funny when that happened. Like, I screenshotted it and sent it to the boys, and I thought you guys would get a kick out of that. Tremendous. Um, next, we just have, uh, oh, what, what is it? What is it that we have? Oh, I hear something. Is it? Oh, it is. It's coming right around the corner. It's the kids corner. You, you say it like it's an intro, but we also <laughs> have we it have every, with all these. <laughs> it yeah. sounds awkward on recording because it sounds like you're doing the intro and then there's a pause uh-huh. and then the intro. Uh-huh. It's, it's masterful. I do it on purpose. <laughs> it's, this week, we've got two people that we want to call out. First is uh, Katie. Katie reached out to us this week, and we really appreciated it. Um, we'd love to keep talking to you over messages. Yes. We're glad to hear you're doing well. Um, and we will. We will keep it up. 
Well, for sure. yeah. Um, the second one goes out to our longtime listener, Danny, uh, who during his quarantine has decided to watch all five of the Twilight movies, get rip roaring drunk, and to send us videos of his it's reactions. Um, it's to Twilight. amazing. <laughs> they are, and the only the only way I could sell them, which doesn't even approach what they are, Correct. is poetry. Yeah. Um, they are poetic moments of just of Danny's uh, film reviews and video reactions to the Twilight series. So thank you for doing Dang, that. I was going to say thank you for sending those our way. <laughs> I cannot wait to do an episode on Dude. Twilight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. We, it's coming around the corner. Um, it certainly is. So, yeah, you both. Thank you guys so much. Um, and thank you for listening. We love you. Speaking of thanking people for listening, um, you can always find us and thank us or whatever you want to do on our Twitter and Instagram, both of which are at underscore are we friends, all one word, or you can reach out to us on our website, r-we-friends.com. Dot com. There it is. I, until next time, I have been your scarred co-host at the Crossroads of Destiny, Taylor. I am your Jasmine Dragon, Brian. And I'm still just Jorge. And we will talk to you about Avatar Season 3 next week. There is no war in Ba Sing Se.